0: Hi, my name is Sam Fudo, and welcome to the 17th episode of my podcast, Understanding Healthcare. Today, I spoke with Dr. Hal Paz, Executive Vice President and Chancellor for Health Affairs at the Ohio State University and CEO of the Ohio State Wexner Medical Center. Dr. Paz has held several leadership positions at healthcare organizations such as Aetna and Penn State and continues to practice internal and pulmonary medicine. So, here's my interview with Dr. Hal Paz. Uh, I just wanted to thank you again so much, Dr. Pez, for making the time uh, to be here today. I know you have a very busy uh, schedule. Um, so yeah, g- thank you again.
1: Oh, it's my great pleasure.
0: So so my first question is, you know, in your role as you know CEO and Chancellor for Health Affairs at the Ohio State Wexner Medical Center and also Ohio State University, you know, what have been your biggest takeaways from the past year as it relates to general trends in healthcare delivery as we sort of become more sort of value-based or outcomes-driven?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, you know, that's a complicated question because um, in, in terms of um, some of the ongoing work um, in the value uh, reimbursement space and, um, you know, without a doubt, the pandemic, I think, has put some of that on pause. Um, but at the same time, um, a number of initiatives underway For quite some time, I think, really have been accelerated. So as I think about um, the work that we were doing here at at Ohio State Wexter Medical Center in terms of thinking of our transformation from a health system to a health platform, uh, in many ways, the pandemic has accelerated that that, uh, transformation. We went from 50 telehealth visits a month to 2,800 a day. Now, arguably, that in part is because um, of of the the fact that it's being reimbursed but it's being reimbursed generally not in a a value-based model, it's being reimbursed in a fee-for-service model. So it gets to my point earlier that I think some of the things that had been envisioned only a couple of years back um, may have been delayed but at the same time, a lot of the implementation of technology and new ways of thinking have really been accelerated. And and for us here at uh, Ohio State at Ohio State Wexner Medical Center, I think um, inevitably that accelerates our strategic plan, our strategic vision, and our transformation, which is how do we take uh, our resources, our assets, um, and advance them in ways to address health and well-being of individuals beginning in their homes and in their local communities. Because as we do that successfully, we address not just healthcare care per se, but we address other critical determinants of health, including social, behavioral, environmental determinants of health, to create a personalized health environment and experience for each individual.
0: Absolutely. And you sort of touched on it in the middle of the answer, but I know in a recent interview, you talked about how COVID-19 has sort of spurred a a great amount of innovation, you know, as we've seen in telehealth or data, and so can you talk a little bit about that and your thoughts on how the pandemic has sort of been an accelerant for a lot of the uses of, of you know, more innovation and things like that?
1: Well, I, you know, yeah, I, I would say first and foremost collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, if, if in some ways healthcare was siloed. Um, historically, I think more and more we're seeing that collaboration becomes essential to success. And we've seen, uh, for example, uh, opportunities where we could collaborate with other health systems
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, in our market. We are still competitors, but when it came to addressing uh, the first surge and looking at what happened at other, in other places in the world, other major cities in the U.S., uh, we came together, we talked about how we could work in ways that would address the needs of, a, of the population, of a large segment. And so we, uh, we established uh, a mechanism to use the convention center as a place to have 1100 beds should we get to surge level three. We coordinated patient referrals, not just across this region, but across all of central and southeast Ohio. Uh, that included a total of 40 hospitals so that patients could stay in their local community uh, to receive care. But if they were critically ill, they needed to uh, come to a place like the Wexter Medical Center for, uh, you know, rarefied ICU care, ECMO, things like that, that those resources were available. And I think that was incredibly important. It, um, it allowed us to quickly innovate biotechnology. We partnered early on with Battelle in the first few weeks of the pandemic, up until then, we could do 40 tests a day, and we created a platform where at the Med Center we could do 4,000 tests per day. Um, incredible, right? And and you know we quickly were running out of uh, uh, swabs to actually do the COVID test because most of that was made in Northern Italy, as we found out, and uh, we you know, took 3D printers from the College of Engineering and the College of Dentistry and made our own swabs on those printers. And we made our own viral transport media. Um, so that kind of collaboration with biomedical research and uh, its clinical application had, had a dramatic impact. Um, but we also recognized that we had to do more uh, than ever before in the local communities. Uh, because as I said earlier, Healthcare is one determinant of health. It's right. it's the social, it's the environmental, it's the behavioral determinants that together uh, have this enormous impact on premature death, health, and well-being. So we go to, for example, the Near East Side, where we've had a number of programs like our Moms to Be program. But we realized that with COVID, we had to do more. So we went out and we started distributing um, uh, our what we called our COVID kits. Uh, 7,500 people in in vulnerable communities, which included uh, face masks, soap, hand sanitizer, dental hygiene items as a way to to help them. We created a testing site there and even a vaccination site. So, um, you know, understanding that became very, very important. Um, And we even, you know, um, wanted to make sure that we were the first out in, in certain New types of programs. Uh, We had a convalescent plasma program when we believed that was one way to not not prevent the virus but treat the infection. Um, We had a very successful monoclonal antibody program, and to date, the work around Regeneron's monoclonal antibodies demonstrates that it has an impact for those that are infected and are sick and meet the criteria to prevent hospitalization and, and even death. And we conducted clinical trials of vaccines. We were the first, uh, among the first medical centers, on the first day, mm-hmm. to administer the Pfizer uh, vaccine. We were the first medical center in the nation to administer the J and J vaccine. Um, so this, you know, has given us an opportunity to um, direct care to this broad geographic community that we serve. And, you know, I'm extraordinarily proud of the fact that to date uh, we have tested more than half a million pe- tests, not people, I don't know, a person may have had more than one test, but we've done more than a half a million COVID tests and um, we've done hundreds of thousands of vaccines at the shot. I mean, it's, just, it's extraordinary, right? So um, um, truly a lot to be proud of there.
0: Absolutely, I've been I've been volunteering at the shot the past couple uh, weeks. So that's been really interesting and eye-opening to see the whole operation uh, there. Um, my next question is uh, President Biden recently, you know, visited the James Cancer Center. And and so I was just wondering if you could, this would be a good way to ask, you know, can you reflect on, you know, that, and I guess the achievements made more broadly, you know, throughout your time at the Wexner Medical Center and, and, and the ways that in which you've worked to sort of improve affordability, accessibility, and, and quality of care more broadly, not even, you know, including the past year, but also uh, right when you started as well.
1: Yeah. Um- so we, we were very proud to have the president of the United States come to uh, the Wexner Medical Center on the 11th anniversary of the Affordable Care Act uh, mm-hmm. because of the significance of of um, that event. Uh, it reflects again this under our this underlying theme of increasing access, right, and affordability. And without a doubt. Um, this institution has worked very hard to uh, address uh, access to care. We care for you know, a large portion of the underserved through Medicaid programs. We care for the indigent. Um, and it's an important part of our role as being part of a, um, a flagship public land grant university here in the center part of the state, um, just a few miles from the state capital. Mm-hmm. So that recognition was extraordinarily important, um, the work that, as I referenced earlier, in, um, in underserved communities, in minority communities, um, mm-hmm. you know, over the past several, several years, um, exceptionally important. The work that's going on here in health equity, mm-hmm. the fact that we were um, if not the first, among the very first to declare racism as a social determinant of health after um, understanding um, the, 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 these tragic social issues that came out around racism during the pandemic. And that we've done a lot here, without a doubt, but there's so much more that we have to do and to be a, a leader and continue to be a leader in that space. And then last but not least, I would say this, you know, the president um, has made it his agenda to, um, to fight the war on cancer, the cancer moonshot. Um, that was part of his portfolio when he was vice president. He's been um, very public about tragedy in his own family with regard to cancer and particularly with his son, Beau. And um, to come here and then to spend time at the James to visit um, the second floor of the James where we were able to build uh, the state-of-the-art linear accelerator radiation oncology facility because we, were, we did receive a $100 million grant um, as part of that the Affordable Care Act legislation 11 years ago for him to come here and see the impact of that, that funding and what it's done to transform access to cutting edge um, uh, radiation therapy for cancer patients, uh, for, for us all was very, very gratifying. And I I'm, without a doubt, I'm sure it was for him too. And now of course, we're we're leapfrogging into the world of proton beam radiation therapy over on West Campus. We're in the process of building the first proton beam accelerator for this entire region, because certain cancers uh, would benefit even more from proton beam uh, than from conventional radiation therapy. And to have that here so that patients that have cancer don't have to travel long distances to have access to cutting edge cancer care is extraordinarily important. And it's it's certainly part of my vision for the future.
0: Uh, absolutely. Um- to, to touch more on, you know, your career and your background, I know you were trained in internal medicine with uh, subspecialties in pulmonary and critical care, but so can you talk about, you know, why you first chose to go into medicine, and why internal medicine, and also sort of the importance of being a physician today, you know, in addition to carrying out uh, your administrative uh, roles at Ohio State?
1: Yeah, um, well, I appreciate the question. Um, you know, I, I, when I was a, a medical student, I think it would be fair to say that I, I, I fell in love with every rotation I did, and um, it was tough to choose which one I wanted to go into. When I was doing pediatrics, I wanted to be a pediatrician and so on and so forth. I love surgery. I love medicine, um, psychiatry. Um, you know, I really enjoyed them all. And maybe that's in large part why I went into internal medicine, because I realized that it would give me... Um, It would give me the opportunity to to not be in one very specific area, but I could work broadly from there because in internal medicine, um, you have an opportunity to um, think about a lot of different systems and a lot of different conditions and help people in different ways. Similar, and maybe even a little more broadly is family medicine, but both together, I think, you know, reflect the emphasis on primary care, but then also specialty care Uh, from there. There I went into pulmonary and critical care. Maybe for some of the same reasons, I was really enamored with a number of uh, different subspecialties along the way, and I liked uh, primary care. And in pulmonary and critical care medicine, you you know, as a pulmonologist, you're doing um, you know a lot of general medicine work, um, but you also can branch out into critical care, into sleep medicine, into allergy. So a lot of different options. And ultimately, I spent the first part of my career in critical care medicine, uh, mostly, some in pulmonary, but mostly. And I think in a lot of ways, that just reflected the, the surgical part that was still left inside. I liked intensive care. I liked the pace. I liked the procedures. Um, it's very challenging um, um, and very, very hands-on and, and uh uh, you have to make decisions. I, I think the, the, the important piece was um, you had to make decisions quickly. You didn't it you didn't have the time to collect every last piece of information. Maybe you only had half of the information you needed, but with only half the information you had to make uh, really important decisions because the patients were so critically ill. Uh, uh, the risks and, and, uh, were so high that um, I really liked that intellectual challenge. I liked the pace. And and so that's why I enjoyed critical care so much. Um, And um, yeah, so that, you know, um, that really influenced uh, my career for sure. Um, When you're in the ICU, you're running things, you have an administrative role by design. Since I was an ICU director for almost a decade, I was doing uh, a bit of administration and um, I was, you know, didn't intentionally wind up doing it, but I was offered opportunities to do other administrative things while I was running the ICU. And one thing led to another. And, um, you know, one, one administrative role led to another administrative role. And I guess here we are. Uh, I've continued to care for patients um, all the way through my career. I had to drop the ICU part because that's, you know, that's a full-time commitment, but I did keep the pulmonary part. And um, I was most recently, um, before I came to Ohio, I uh, was at the, uh, at the Connecticut VA system in West Haven. I had a faculty appointment at Yale, and I was doing that while I was working in industry. And um, uh, after arriving here in Columbus, I was just just got my license here in Ohio. I had planned to uh, start seeing patients again in pulmonary in the pulmonary clinic, but then COVID came and um, things just you know took another direction. I'm hoping when we get back to our normal, I can get back to clinic. Um, I've always really enjoyed um, that. It is it's why we're all here at the end of the day at this med center, which is to care for patients.
0: Absolutely. And and you sort of touched on a little bit of what my next question is about, but uh, as you sort of said, you, you've held uh, previous uh, senior roles at Aetna and Penn State and in, in addition to other institutions. And so I wanted to know if you could talk about you know your past experiences and how they've sort of helped you carry out your role here. And I know specifically in the last year you've been involved, obviously, in a lot of the uh, uh, discussions and operations behind uh, testing, uh, ramping up and, and, and now, uh, vaccinations. And so can you talk a little bit about that and how your past has sort of influenced your work and, and the work you do now?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I would say that it's been a bit evolutionary. I went from being, uh, an ICU director to pretty quickly after that becoming Dean of a uh, medical school, uh, at an early age. And, uh, it was uh, the Robert Wood Johnson Medical School, which was the original Rutgers Medical School before it was named after the founder of Johnson & Johnson. And, um, you know, um, it was a phenomenal experience, did that for a decade. My, my rule of thumb is uh, 10 years is a good amount of time to be in those kind of roles. I was offered an opportunity to go to Penn State and there, um, Lead uh, the medical center, the Milton S. Hershey Medical Center, and serve as senior vice president at the university. And again, I did that for about a decade, and really, really enjoyed it. And at that point, I decided, and I was also dean of the College of Medicine at Penn State, decided it would be good to just do something totally different. I think you know, it's it's good to not stay in any one role for too long, and it's good to reinvent yourself along the way uh, because you can bring. Um, insights to your new role, and you learn a lot from the new role as well. And uh, I decided to go to industry. I had um, an opportunity to be the executive vice president, um, chief medical officer at Aetna. I was recruited there, I think, in large part because um, uh, my boss, who was the chairman and CEO, had this vision to transform the company from a health insurance company to a healthcare care company. And Spent a lot of my time working on that conceptually, on that, on that, cl- on that clinical strategy to, to how that could look. And one thing led to another, and uh, at the end of the day, um, as, as we merged with uh, CVS Health, I, that was realized. Um, CVS is the fifth largest company in America, and uh, probably by many definitions, the largest healthcare enterprise in the country. Though they don't. Um, own hospitals, and they don't employ physicians for the traditional roles that we think of. But so much of the work that goes on there is in that space and partners with others in that space, which is, uh, for me personally, extraordinarily gratifying to see that vision come to fruition. And so what I got back in return is I learned how you run a first a $75 billion company or so, then a $225 billion company. And all the functions that go with it, and then um, uh, was able to bring that back here to Ohio State. Is you know there was this vision to take the Wexner Medical Center, the seven health science colleges, and uh, create this um, um, this vision for the future, of transforming the med center to a health platform, to bring the colleges together to create. Uh, uh, Interprofessional programs to train the next generation of health professional uh, before they graduate. In terms of how they work, can work effectively in teams, teaching a common language, team, uh, teaching um, uh, alignment around how to a- a address and um, and engage with patients. Because I truly believe that the workforce of the future in healthcare is all about being effective in teams and and aligning and of course, driving care into the home for the reasons I said before. So um, you know, I was fortunate to have had that background to be able to bring that here and to be here um, at uh, a place where all these different resources exist and to think of ways to bring them together is just an extraordinary opportunity.
0: Absolutely, and I believe the person you're referring to at Etna was uh, Mark Bertolini, and I uh, I was able to speak with him a few years ago, and he's yeah. just an amazing guy. And in, in terms of the way you just you said, you know, reinventing you know the way health insurance uh, companies work. Um, last questions, you know, uh, you know, what advice would you give to young people interested in medicine? You know, based on your career experiences and everything we've discussed today.
1: Yeah, so um, I guess the, the first piece of advice I would give is you know follow your heart and your passion, um, because uh, if you do, it'll increase the likelihood that you'll be successful. Um, um, the reasons to go into this, into into medicine, into healthcare in general, um, are, I mean, there's so many of them, if, uh, without a doubt, we just don't have to look too far to realize how much need there is. Um, you know, one of the examples I talk about frequently is we have two communities here on the border of Columbus, you know, campus even on the near east side and, and Bexley and the difference in life expectancy between those two communities is 18.3 years. And those communities are one mile apart. So if that doesn't tell us that there's extraordinary need and extraordinary opportunity for so many of our graduates to engage, and it doesn't necessarily mean as a position or a nurse or any other healthcare practitioner or provider, but you know, there's so many different ways to engage in the social and behavioral and environmental determinants of health in addition to healthcare, and that you know, the backgrounds can be so varied. We need engineers, we need computer scientists, we need um, social scientists, and, um, and, and, and to really think through how do we better create uh, health and well-being for our nation so much need. Um, and, um, and so I would say, follow your passion, find something that you are enormously excited about that you believe that you can make a difference in and then get trained, get the education you need, be wildly prepared because fortune, uh, rewards those that are wildly prepared. And, um, you know, I think that, uh, that's the great opportunity here. And there's so much to be excited about. And as we learned during this pandemic, you know, look at the look at the hand we were dealt, uh, and look at how we how much progress we've made just in a little over a year to overcome that. It's extraordinary, and so um,
0: couldn't be more excited about this work. Absolutely, uh, Dr. Peth, Thank you so much uh, for making the time to be with me today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope my conversation with Dr. Paz helps to highlight ways in which health systems have adapted the COVID-19 pandemic in addition to healthcare moving forward in order to improve affordability, accessibility, and quality of care. Additionally, I hope this serves to emphasize the tremendous amount of innovation that has occurred in healthcare throughout the past couple years, but also the great deal of work ahead to make healthcare more accessible and reduce disparities in care and outcomes. Thank you so much again for listening. I hope you all are doing well and staying safe. And remember, we can't just consume healthcare. We have to understand healthcare.